You are listening to Love Your Practice with Dr. Laura Mock. I'm a general dentist, a practice owner, and a certified life coach. I teach women who own dental practices to lead with intention and literally fall in love with their businesses. Keep listening and you will see how learning to love your practice turns into loving your life too. Well, hi there. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Love Your Practice. I'm Dr. Laura Mock, and today's episode is a very special one. Some of you may have heard of a dentist. His name was Dua, Manu Dua, um, who passed away from oral cancer earlier this year. He went through all of his treatments during the COVID-19 pandemic, and he was young. He was, I think, 34 when he passed away. And his writings have become a book. His sister compiled them and it's already published and it's out there. It's called Life Interrupted. And this episode, I'm interviewing his sister and just listening to her story and the things that she has learned and experienced through kind of escorting her brother out of this life and and the things that she went through. So it's a very special story. Please stick with us. Lots of life lessons to be learned with this one. Thanks again. We'll see you on the other side. All right. I'm so happy and grateful to be welcoming to the podcast, Dr. Parul Dua Mucker. Dr. Mucker, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really glad that you reached out. Your story is so poignant, and I'm going to let you tell it here in a minute, but I just want to say what you have, what you're um, doing right now and sharing your story is really important. And I think it's important for all of us female dental practice owners to really be thinking about the message that you're here to share. So I just really appreciate you taking the time and the energy to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. So you are a general dentist, right? Correct. Okay. And practicing in Long Island. Yeah. Right. And you own your practice, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sort of met basically because I found an article that was going viral that your brother wrote. And I'm going to stop here and I'm going to let you kind of take over the story of why we were sharing this article that your brother wrote. So the article you just mentioned, Manu wrote, it was published in the Dental Town magazine about Uh, leaving dentistry this way out. And I remember uh, being in his house two days after his death and picking up the magazine and looking at it and my mom saying, well, he found his way out of life. And uh, this article was so, uh, it went viral, it was documented and uh, reflected on by many dentists and in different podcasts and and articles. It was because he was talking about how we as dentists may not find the fulfillment that we need and maybe it's not our true calling and understanding that and being okay with knowing that dentistry is not for you um, and you're not finding the joy that you need. And for some people it is, and that's great, but if you're not, it's okay to step back and reflect and start all over again. Um, And tell us, give us the background of why he was even writing this this article. Okay. So step us back a year or two and and what happened. So he, he's your younger brother and he graduated from dental school 
what, like seven, eight, nine years he after you? In 2012, right. So he okay. graduated in 2012, so still mm-hmm. relatively a new dentist. Um, he had been working uh, around Calgary. His focus at that point was pay off his loans, and he did that. And um, didn't work with any associate that he was ready to buy. So he started his own startup. Uh, He started his startup in 2016 um, in Calgary in the middle of recession. And he built a successful practice. Um, And he was very focused on it, loved it. He was um, awarded, you know, posthumously also. Um, And he was featured on this Dentaltown magazine. At the time where he was interviewed, he had also been diagnosed um, with stage two oral uh, uh, squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, um, I'm sorry, yes, squamous cell. Mm -hmm. It was a lesion he had found on his tongue and he's, you know, he had shown me the lesion. We we live in two different countries. He's in Canada, I'm in New York. And he said, oh, this looks funny and it's been there. It's been present for a while. We think it's lichen planus. So the biopsy got delayed and one of the major stresses, uh, you know, I would like people to know is pay attention to your bodies, really advocate for yourself, for your patients and don't delay late diagnosis. The worst is is what they got a biopsy done and it was a a false, you know, it was negative. That's the good thing. Um, But don't delay. So his biopsy came back and it had spread into his uh, lymph nodes. Um, so he had this major surgery and he chronicled this major surgery along with his startup practice in the uh, downtown magazine. And he wrote the article, uh, Dr. Heal Thyself, and which was the major surgery. He had half his tongue removed. He had a graft brace from his left arm and he bounced back. He had the surgery done in August, 2019, eight hour, multiple doctors. He bounced back. He actually visited me in New York in 2019 because I had just opened up my practice in 2018, end of 18. So, and he had been uh, instrumental in helping me with design, you know, how to design, what to look for, what software to use, um, how to do Google reviews, how to get on the Google listing. You know, he, he was, was like a- really into the business stuff, wasn't oh, he? Totally. And yeah, he was writing like, too, like he, but this, he was writing even before he had this message about having cancer, right? He was already writing for dental town. He wrote for, he wrote the doc, uh, Dr. Thiel Dassel. That's the, oh, that was his first one. Okay. Post-cancer. Yeah. And every, all his writing he, he found was during his cancer treatment because as his cancer progressed and he got more treatment, he took time away from clinical dentistry and he had more time his hand he wasn't married he was single and no kids so he had to channel his energy and he loved to read he was an avid reader and he just and that's how he found his outlet he found it in his writings and he would share them with me all the time and set up a blog um, do a good job which is no longer there but all of those blogs are now in this book and so every time he would go in for some procedure, he would reflect on that and, you know, what is it, fear of being indestructible, you know, especially as a young dentist, you don't think disease, you're, you know, you're the prime of your life, you are, you know, you've paid off your dues, and now you're ready to enjoy life. So you cannot, you don't expect disease to hurt you. No, you kind of feel invincible when you're right. young. And then even like as a dentist, like I just find so much irony that a dentist would even get oral cancer. You know what I mean? What? We're, we're, this is our space. We don't get sick here. Don't you? And and that's why he says it's like the shoemaker who broke his own shoe, you know? 
Um, so you don't think, and, and, and I think a part of his late diagnosis besides not getting the biopsy in time was this fear, this feeling of being indestructible and no, it can't happen to me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm young. I don't, I don't, I don't have the risk factors. I'm not a smoker. I'm not old. I'm not, you know, chewing tobacco or, mm -hmm. you know, having those factors. So there's that denial. Um, anyhow, so he's, he started to Right. He got his surgery. He visited me in September of 2019. And he's like, okay, this staff is good. And this is not good. And these are the reports you need to run. And, you know, he was like, and every beginning of the month, this is how you, know, you see your new patients. This is how you see, you know, so he was coaching me, even though he was so much younger than me, he had started his prior to mine and he helped encourage me. And um, he was back at work October 1st of 20. You know, today's October 2nd, 2021 to oh. October 1st, he was back in New York, in uh, Canada, and he was starting to see patients, but he found he had a lot of um, numbness um, from working too long in his left arm because of the graft. Um, speech was an issue. If you talk too long, um, focusing was getting harder for him because, you know, he had a major surgery in August and he hadn't really taken time off. So he got an associate. He's like, okay, I'm going to cut back a little bit. Um, but, and he started to doing things that found him joy. You know, like, he's like, why am I going to wait till I'm 60 to get a Porsche? I'm going to buy a Porsche now. Yeah. You know, is that I, when he got his dog too? I noticed. Yes. That. And that's when he got his dog. He's like, I want to, I've always wanted to have a dog. I'm going to do these things now. And, and, you know, unfortunately sometimes in life when we are, we know that, okay, we have a set time or, you know, we try to rush everything at one time. And his message was like, stop doing all those things. Really live your life now. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, so he started doing the things off his bucket list. April of 2020, he, you know, just when COVID was hitting, mm -hmm. he had dental work done and he had another swelling on the left side. And they found that the cancer wasn't fully removed and he never got chemo radiation after the first surgery. So lack of chemo radiation and the cancer cells weren't fully removed. The cancer reappeared okay. and he went and got 33 rounds of chemo radiation June into July 6th was his last um, uh, chemo radiation treatment. And so his 34th birthday was amid COVID. Amid oh, he was such a baby. Yes. 34. Yeah, yeah. And I was planning his 35th birthday, which would have been June of 2021. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I wanted to do a Hawaiian theme because we were supposed to go to Hawaii and that trip got canceled because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So he got finished his chemo radiation and he made a conscious decision. He's like, you know what? Cancer has reappeared. Mm -hmm. um, and he had a lesion on his chest and mm -hmm. he had shown me an article he had read. It was a study done in Japan about a young 19 year old, same, you know, story, uh, tongue lesion, squamous cell carcinoma, metastasized to the lungs. And, but Manu's metastasis wasn't discovered in that time. Um, in April, when he had his second surgery, they found the lesion on his chest CT. However, they did not do a biopsy. It was small and they weren't, and he was coughing. And it was like a 1.2, it was a small lesion, 1.2 centimeters by 1.8. And the doctors weren't stressing that uh, this is a second lesion. They didn't do a PET scan to see for any other mets, nothing. 
it was like, okay, you have another lesion. We're going to just reevaluate this in six months. It's COVID. They were also trying to like, uh, I think COVID. Yeah. 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 You know, besides having to go through all of that, he went through all the treatments alone. My parents would drop him and pick him up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I couldn't travel because of Canada was on restriction, non-vaccinated. This is a respiratory disease. He is, you know, he's immunocompromised. So I never came. And, um, you know, my parents were also worried about me contracting COVID. I have a family and they're already suffering with one child. And um, everything, you know, besides doing everything alone and knowing that your cancer came back, it's the fact that he had no emotional support that you needed from friends and family, you know, uh, visits for very limited. Yes. Um, nobody's coming and hanging out with you at the Everybody's hospital. Everybody's just staying at home by themselves. Yeah. By themselves, mm-hmm. that isolation, you know, and this is what I talk about, like isolation. We are isolated in our fields and now money was isolated in his journey and in healing. And, you know, so he had a ton of time. And this is the time when he started writing after his chemo radiation. He really, you know, got onto laptop. Now he was no practice. He had sold his practice. He had to work on getting better. He was mentally and physically very strong. I mean, to have to go through this major surgery and back at work seeing patients, I mean, it takes a lot of courage, you know, not a lot of sure. people will even contemplate, you know, they will say, let me take a few months off. And, but no, he was very determined and he was determined to fight through, you know, he he writes about this in his book. He's like, I will fight to the end, you know, and, and that was, he never gave up ever. And yeah, I want to stop you there for a second, because that's one of the first chapters is he talks about hope and how his hope is what he was holding on to. And, you know, this is poignant to read because yes, as you're reading it, you already know he didn't win the war, right? But he was there. He didn't know if he was going to win, but he's he's holding on to hope. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so inspiring that he could hold on to hope through multiple surgeries and all those radiations and being by himself, being by himself. He had to go in and find it within himself. And I think that's one of the most important things that we can learn from it is that we can see how strong he was. And if he could do it, then if, if we've got something going on. Maybe we can do it too. Right. You know, we can be strong like he was. Right. And and he, he really focuses on hope that that's all we've got. And in, and you hope that you have a better future. Whether it happens or not, that's kind of out of your control. But you just hold on to that hope and get through it. You know, and and adversities come in all sorts of ways, you know, whether it's the practice not going well, the marriage, the COVID, the you know, staff issues, whatever. There's a whole you know, spectrum of things that go wrong in our lives and in a personal life, you know, divorce, kids, whatever, loss. Um, There's so much and we still have to hold on to hope. And that's so important. Um, So So he was writing, he was sick, he was getting over the radiation treatments, he was writing, and nobody really knew about the chest lesion. The chest lesion was so... April was the initial diagnosis of the chest. And then he was supposed to have a fall in October, which didn't happen because of COVID. They pushed, Mm -hmm. he got it in November. And the lesion had grown four times the size. It had become 3.8 by 4.2. 
Mm-hmm. And he called me, I was driving home from work and he would tell me before he told, I'm, I'm the older sister, like a mother. Um, so he would, and I'm in the profession. So I got things, yeah. you know, I can think clinically besides thinking emotionally. And he's like, this is metastatic. And I'm like, did you get a biopsy? He's like, no, but I really think this is metastatic. This is what the radiologist thinks. You know, the other was that it could be because, um, fungal infection, post-chemo radiation. So it was a ground glass, opaque, ill-defined border lesion. And so we said, okay, let's do the biopsy. The biopsy was scheduled for December 7th. This is mid-November. Um, and he's 2020, like, right? 2020, November, 2020. And he said, I'm okay. I have accepted my fate. I'll be okay to die. That was very hard for me to hear. And like, he's already given up, not almost given up, but it is, come to terms with it. Like this is my destiny. And he didn't fight at any point. He did not argue. Oh my God, my oral surgeon diagnosed it late or, Oh my God, they didn't do this step or they didn't do a pet. He never blamed anybody. He didn't blame himself. He didn't blame the society, nothing. He didn't blame the circumstances, his destiny, whatever you call it. You know, he's like, this is it. I've come to terms with it. I'm going to do what I can. And that was, you know, writing about all the little things that he felt were important to share. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, okay, December 7th, we're going to schedule the biopsy. He was having, he's still coughing. December 1st, he, my parents called me and said, Manu's going to the hospital. He's not able to breathe. They take him in, they found fluid in his lungs. Finally, the PET scan was done. They never did the biopsy. Yes. So December 7th was the biopsy. December 1st, he went into the hospital. They found fluid in his lungs. They did a cytology report on the fluid and that was positive for squamous cell carcinoma. And uh, the PET scan was done, showed METs to his pelvic bone and the entire lung lining had cancer. It was deemed inoperable at this point. And the only chances were immunotherapy, which the NIH studies I have read have only in a one-year uh, prognosis of only 20%. Um, in a three-year study, it's 10% and there's no five-year study on it. So, so at this point, it was a losing battle and he finally got a chest port placed, which wasn't done correctly. Um, so this is, again, just to remind people that this is COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada has shut borders to American. I'm a dual citizen. But even for me to come, I could come enter the country, I would have to quarantine for a a, period of time. Mm -hmm. So I had to file for a special permission. It's a compassion release um, from the government of Canada. You have to show paperwork. So while I'm dealing with, you know, I got a phone call that, okay, Manu is getting a port placed. My medical doctor friends are like, Manu does not have time. You need to go get on a plane and get there. Find a way, get to see him. So I shut down my practice for two weeks, one week to travel, one week because I had to quarantine when I came back from New York, from uh, Canada and um, uh, cancel all the patients, tell the staff, all the Sorry, I got to yeah. go, I got to go, you know, I'm still, I'm, I, my kids, they're still in school, I have to get the nanny, you know, there's so many other factors. Mm-hmm. Among all of that, I had to file with the Canada for the release, limited release, which Places you can only visit the places that they allow you. So my parents' home, um, letters signed off from the doctors, and I cannot be out there visiting anybody. You know, I have to kind of stay quarant- stay in those areas. Yes. And then, 
submit everything, get the permission, only then I can fly, then get a COVID test to fly, you know, so I'm not getting a chance to grieve because you are in this, okay, got to take care of the kids, got to take care of the practice, got to fill out this form, got to make sure everything's done and get on a plane. And when I got there, um, he barely spoke. This man was, you know, he was having a hard time walking. Um, He would do one or two sentences. A lot of the, you know, if the doctor's visits had to be changed, he'd be like, you know, like this gasping breath because the fluid buildup was there. He was draining a liter of fluid a day, practically. Um, Was he at home? Was he in the hospital? He was at home. home. He was home. Um, He was home. He was getting palliative care at home. He had a hospital bed. He was, um, all the doctors were, uh, the nurses were coming to the house to do his uh, port changes, the blood, the fluid removal, mm-hmm. uh, checking his vitals. And then blood work was also done at home to clear him to go to get his immunotherapy or radiation, whatever treatment he needed. So he would have to have blood work prior to going. Uh, so everything was done at home. Um, he okay. had pain management team. Everything was home. And my parents, my dad was living, he had his own house. So my dad was staying with him to help him because he wasn't with the port. It was um, very, what do you call it? Um, It was very painful to lie down. It was on the side of his chest. So lying down was an issue. He wasn't getting sleep, a lot of pain. Uh, He was on a keto diet um, with, with intermittent fasting. Again, new studies that he had read had reported that keto diet is starving the cancer cells. And yep. he was very diligent. Like he, And I think he was very strict about his diet because he was healthy to begin with, you know, but he was yeah. more so because that's the one thing he could control. So, okay, let me pause you for a second. Uh-huh. I want to hear when you got there, you said he was... Um, he, he couldn't talk very much, but you got to see him. And like, this has been a burning question for me. You yes, got I was him. with him. So he had a dog, Maya, yeah. and I'm highly allergic to dogs. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what I would do was mm-hmm. I would go, my parents lived in their own house and he was in his own house. I would go during the day and kind of give my dad a relief. Mm-hmm. And my mom would go to work and do whatever she needed to do. So I would give my parents that relief. My dad would take the dog out for a walk because I'm highly allergic. I couldn't be in that room and that same house for long. And I would spend the entire day with him, fix him lunch, dinner, you know, be there for the port place. You know, whenever they drained out the fluid, Mm -hmm. I would get rid of the fluid in the bathroom. And I would be there when the nurse was doing, helping him with little things, um, talking, you know, appointments and stuff. And then we would just sit and watch movies. And how long did you get to stay with him? One week. And I would stay until dinner time, but I wouldn't sleep there. Mm -hmm. I would go home after dinner and then come back in the morning when he's about. And he he wouldn't sleep a full restful night. So in between my, I was there the whole time and I had a mask on the whole time. So when you you were here, you were there with him for a week and you got to be his main caretaker during that week and watch movies and all that stuff. Yeah. Wait, but then you had to get home. I mean, you had your kids. Yeah, and I still had to Yeah, practice kids. I'd left in a hurry. Um, so I was only there for a week and we took a family picture. And that was our last picture that we took together as I'm going to the airport. 
um, came back and we were like, okay, things are going to get better. He was in and out of the hospital for something or the other. January, he was admitted two weeks in the hospital and he was not sharing details with us because he hid a lot to protect us from what he's going through. And when the last article book that he wrote was on new beginnings was while he was in the hospital. So I didn't know, I found a friend who was a doctor and he looked at the records um, and told me in bluntly, and I couldn't read through it fully. I actually had my husband, it was a Sunday in January. I had my husband read it because I couldn't get through it. And it was, this is the end. You mm -hmm. need to make life, end of life choices. You need to know what his death wishes, his wishes are at this point. And it was very hard for me to, yes, I knew it was metastatic. Um, yes, I knew that this is, he's going to die very, very soon. I didn't know how much time we had, whether we had a year, but what report I got was within a few months, anytime now was kind of the thing. Yeah. This was January. I didn't tell my parents because they were living, breathing Manu and this. So I didn't tell them until his death. Afterwards, I told them that I knew. Yeah. And, um, and it was very hard for me to accept it. And, you know, and again, now I have to still, it's Monday, next day is Monday. And I was in the midst of shutting out a practice. I was in the midst of still being a mom, a doctor, a caretaker, uh, you know, and day-to-day -day things. Um, and I had to really learn how to focus my energy back to being present in what I have to do now. And I cannot change Manu's diagnosis. Um, February, I wanted to go see him. And he's like, no, 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 it's really, really cold. And I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, you tell me when you're ready. And I, because for me to, again, fly again, I was vaccinated at this point, but I still had to quarantine in Canada. I had to get that release yeah. because it's only valid for a month. So uh, February 25th, he called me and he said that there was a new chest, a new lesion, his board site had been changed and that new lesion has been biopsied and it is metastatic. And he was in the hospital. He was, he had been crying. Um, and he called me and he's like, come March. Mm -hmm. And we booked a tickets for March 20th. And I said, I'll be done with, I need to get another round of radiation. I'll be done then. I'm, you're not going to be able to see me if you fly right now. So come in March and I'm like, fine, this was end of February. And in this midst of it, when I was there in December, he had told, expressed his you know, intent to publish and I had found him a publisher. And you know, in February also I had told him like, you know, I found you a publisher, why don't you focus on something good? And he's like, no, 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 I want to write. So he knew he was dying yeah. again, have a time frame. So he was like, let me write as much as I can. So he's like, don't publish right now. I want to write more. And I said, Fine. and unfortunately, the way the events played out, I was supposed to fly on the 20th, March 12th. I got the call from my parents that he's going into the hospital. He had a leg swelling. He had an embolism. He's being admitted. Don't call. He's going to be sedated. Don't talk to him, right? Call him tomorrow. And yeah. I was working the 13th of March. I was at work. And I called my parents in between and they're like, we're the, we're the entire palliative team and he's being moved to hospice. So I knew at that time, this is the end. Yeah. And then finally I got a hold of my parents in the evening. It was late evening, Saturday. And my, my mom said, he's not going to make it till the 20th. You need to come home now. 
if you can. I had my paperwork. All I needed was a COVID test. I got a, I went to urgent care. I got it Sunday morning. I was shutting out my practice, my older practice. So I was coming back from Queens and my mom called me. It was, I still remember the time I've taken WhatsApp pictures of this. She said, say your goodbye. He's going into organ failure. You need to say goodbye to him. And one of this is one of the hardest, most life changing things I have to defining things I had to do. I got my husband, I got me, um, we got him on WhatsApp video call and he was sedated, barely conscious. Um, and he kept saying, I love you. I love you. That's all he said. So I knew he was able to listen. Mm -hmm. And I said, let go. I'm like, you've been hurting. It's okay. We'll be okay without you. You don't need to hurt anymore. It's okay to go. Don't wait for me. Because I was trying to expedite. I finally did get my COVID test done by my PCP who came on a Sunday to her office, got it. We gave it, you know, whatever. And we got it done. I booked my flights. Yeah. Eight o'clock in the evening, I told my parents, I'm coming. I'll be on the next flight tomorrow. And they said, okay, we're still in the hospice. We're taking turns because it's one person allowed. And 10 o'clock, I've, again, I've had to shut my practice. I booked a one-way ticket because I wasn't sure when I'm going to come back. He was still alive at this point. Yeah. And um, had to cancel patients, you know, again, with the nanny, the kids, all of that. And then I told my husband, you know, he was still making the 20th trip that was scheduled. We were both going together at that time. So at 10 to 10.30 at night, I'm packing my toiletry. I got that call that I was dreading and my parents were with him. They're, you know, they're like, he's gone. They're like, we were right there in the room. He's gone. And um, I couldn't do anything. And, it, you know, and COVID played such a huge role to this. I could have been there earlier if it wasn't for COVID and all this necessary paperwork. And I couldn't. And different oh. medical decisions, right? Like there were things that yeah. went down medically differently. Medically, because of COVID. Right. You know, it delayed treatment. It, it yeah. avoided the emotional and, you know, physical support, a hug. Or I couldn't hug my parents. Yes. I couldn't hold them and they, they, you know, they're elderly, they're in late 60s, 70s. And I cannot imagine, I'm a mom, you know, I can't imagine what, how they left him, mm -hmm. the hospital, that knowing that he's dead and he has to be taken to a morgue, it is late at night and come home alone. Yeah. Just two of them with no family, nobody, and just come to an empty house, it's dark. And it's dark outside, it's dark in the house and walk in and how do you do that? I don't know how they did it. I have no words. And that guilt that I wasn't there as a daughter, as a doctor, as a dentist, not, not even, and not being able to be there for anyone. And that um, plays a huge role. And then I had to take that flight alone the next day. Yeah. Night was sleeping, knowing he's gone. Then getting up in the morning, flying alone. And I flew because I booked any flight I could get. I flew from New York to Texas to, <laughs> to Calgary because I didn't see, you know, and um, I didn't see him until the funeral home. And I, I 
plan the funeral. And then my whole focus, because I was there alone uh, with no kids or, or my husband for a week, um, he passed away and I found the articles, his writings. I got onto his laptop, found his, um, you know, uh, all the articles printed and the ones that were not completed, I included them in the book as is. Yeah, I and, saw that. Yeah, mm -hmm. interrupted thoughts. Interrupted ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And well, let's, let's switch gears for a minute because you found the articles, you knew they were there. He said, yeah. we're going to publish them. Wanted this has given you something. It's been, how long has it been now? Six months, eight Little months, person. six months, okay. yeah. Yeah. six months. And the book's published, right? Yes. And now you're, you're going about, this is still very fresh. Yes. But you're going right. You're like touring. I mean, so why are you doing this? <laughs> this is hard, right? Like, it makes me cry. It's, so it's very what hard. Is, driving you right now? So what's driving, it's part of my healing process. I wrote my little blebs about the book, the forward, the epilogue on his computer with his articles re after rereading those articles. This was his message. He was very vocal about his journey. Um, mm -hmm. It is to share his wisdom that he felt as he faced mortality. Yeah. Um, like his two main points, right? That he was trying to get across. And he, one of the main points that he had, you know, he felt a failure, it like, you know, he talks about being undestructible, but one of the things that he talks about is the fear. You know, a lot of times we're stuck in a rut. We don't want to change our practice. Or we don't want to change where we're living. We don't want to change getting out of a marriage. We don't want to change life, changing careers, whatever it is that in life that we, you know, we are a lot of times bound by our own fears. And he talks so much about the fear of failing, mm -hmm. uh, the fear of doing a change because what if it doesn't succeed? Well, what if you do succeed, right? And, you know, sometimes we're so bogged down by our failures that we think that it defines us. And, and I'm just gonna quote this article here is that within each failure, is a great opportunity for us to learn and move forward. However, that requires us to go beyond the emotional aspect of failure and fundamentally isolate our emotions to identify the learning opportunities presented before us. And he wrote this- And that's in the book, right? That's the book. It's holding the book. Okay. On the aspect of failure. So, and he talks about this, about, and same thing about fear, failure and fear, a fear of failing. You know, they're intertwined almost. And and he repeats it over and over again. And let it not define us and let us learn and not do the same things again and improve ourselves. You know, whether it's like, it could be something small, sensitivity after a filling, or it could be something big, uh, the practice didn't thrive and now you have to change gears. You know, whatever it is, um, we need to focus on that. And then the other thing he talked a lot about. Was Wait, I want to say one thing before you move on, because he said something, he taught this principle, and I think it's so important. Sometimes we don't try things because we're afraid of being, of failing, but it's okay if we fail. So stop worrying about if we fail and stop being afraid and just do the thing that you're wanting to do. That's yeah. I'm sure you he said, look, I, I even just lost all my money in this one stock because yeah. that's one of his yeah. chapters. I, lost, I did okay. this thing where I had all my life savings and it's right. gone. 
And I'm still here and I'm fine. And yeah, and in, you know, focus on the good stuff, focus on your family, whatever's good in your life. Yes. On those and, and don't be scared not to try something because there'll be a point where you'll be like, I wish I had done it, you know, and you were scared. You were fearful. I let the fear stop me from trying. Right. Exactly. And what was his other point? about, you know, we're all mortal beings. We all are going to die. Don't fear your death, okay? But leave something behind. The way to stay immortal really is to leave something good for humankind, whether it's in his writings or whether it's inventing something or doing something or helping, you know, volunteering. That's, you know, what he did a lot of, um, volunteering your time to underserve you know, a way to contribute to the society that you are remembered still for the goodness that you did. Mm -hmm. And that's, you'll still stay immortal in people's minds and thoughts. You know, we're not physically there, but we are still there in our, um, in our work, you know, so that's how you stay immortal. I think that's amazing. I, um, have to say, as I was reading it, um, it was so fascinating to think, wow, I am right now inside the mind of a man who is going to be dying soon. He's not sure, but he's holding on to hope and he's facing his own mortality. And not only is he a man, but he's a dentist with oral cancer. And so all those things together made it extremely poignant to read. And it's a very, very important point about we're all going to die. Even dentists with oral cancer are going to die sometimes. And, and it's okay. That's a part of being a human and the way we leave our, create our immortality is by leaving something behind. And that's exactly what he did. And I know you're, you're here to kind of represent that, to get it out there. And also a little bit to do your part in the grieving, because you're kind of alone out there in in Long Island, right? Your parents are far away and I don't have any other siblings. No siblings and no aunts, uncles. Mm-hmm. All my grandparents have deceased. No, there's nobody of my family. Yeah. What do you hope becomes of this book? I really hope it, that people, it, it becomes a wake-up call. I think COVID definitely had, was a wake-up call for a lot of dentists when they had to kind of, you know, change gears, see less people and, you know, skyrocketing prices. Do we want to take insurance? Do we want to go fee for service? Do we want to stop medicating? You know, um, so COVID definitely was a wake up call in a lot of aspects, um, but I'm going to focus on dentistry. And I, I hope that this book is also a wake up call to people to know if whatever they're doing in life, whether it's dentistry or whether they're not happy of any aspect of their life, you know, maybe it's moving to another state, you know, something simple as that, or, um, or not working for a DSO and want to go do something else or unhappy with certain relationship, whatever it is, it's a wake up call that life is short, really focus on things that make you internally happy, stop chasing. And he talks about this on chasing trophies, whether in young, we're like, okay, we got to win that race. We got to win the meet. We got to be the top GPA. We got to be the first in our dental school so we can get into that specialty that we want, you know, and while we're chasing. And then as we get older, we're chasing, oh, we want the big house and we want the Maserati and we want, you know, whatever the materialistic things. And we forget 
to feed our souls. And, and he talks a lot about this. It's like he found his soul. He found his inner peace. And while we're in the rat race chasing for materialistic things and tangible things, we don't lose ourselves in it. We don't lose our relationships. We hold on to those dear and dear to us. And, and I hope this book kind of makes you sit up and reflect on your life and oh. where you are, where you want to be. Can we work there? What changes do we need to make? And, you know, be happy internally, internal happiness. Nothing, nothing can replace that. We can yeah. be empty. Yeah. I, and, I definitely think the book is doing that. I mean, yeah. it did it for me. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And I yeah. really appreciate you, you know, putting yourself out there. Cause I was telling you before we started recording, I think at this point, I might still be hiding in my hidey hole and saying, what if, and I wish they would have, or I wish he would have, and I wish I could have done it wrong, but you're turning this really hard thing into something that's going to create his immortality. I, I hope. And, yeah. and, and I write about this in, in the epilogue that we're, we're, you know, we're, we're stuck with this. What if that you say, mm-hmm. what if this is done? What if there was an early diagnosis of PET scan? What if, and we're so lost in the what ifs and this isolated bubbles and more so with COVID, we're in these little bubbles that we forget the bigger picture. We forget that we failed. Maybe there's a reason for a failure because we're supposed to turn in a different direction and one door shut because another door had to open, you know, and we forget that. And we don't see, I don't know why he died. I don't know why he died young and, and he died with, you know, pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe there is a bigger calling to this all. And hopefully this book helps save a life with early diagnosis, mm-hmm. save a life in changing people's perspectives or whatever they're, you know, um, and I hope it just brings some peace and contentment that the world may still fall all around us. The world may fall apart, but if you're at peace with yourself, it will yeah. be okay. So if I'm one of the listeners of this podcast, I'm going, what the heck? How do I find this book? Because we haven't said the name. And um, what? tell me the name of the book and your brother's full name so that we can find it for, sure. as, for the listeners. Sure. So the book is Life Interrupted, Dr. Dua's Survival Guide. It's by Dr. Manu Dua. That's M-A-N-U-D-U-A. Okay. And it's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um it's on Kindle. I got mine on Kindle. Yep. So you There's can do Kindle. Version. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's a Kindle and a paperback version. Um, that's the best way to get it. Um, I've had some doctors who have gotten it uh, multiple copies. I've had a hospital take a few copies of the book. Mm-hmm. So if that needs, if somebody needs more, you know, like tw- 10, 20, 30 copies or 50 copies, they can directly email me and okay. I can ask from the publisher. Um, for bulk orders, but otherwise, yeah, Amazon's, you know, Amazon prime. <laughs> and it's a quick read. It's, it you know, you can read that in one flight or yes. one, one quiet evening with some popcorn or some ice cream or a glass of wine or whatever. And it's just the message in there is so important. Like we said, there's a reason you're out here. You're still in this grieving stage, but you're out here promoting the book because the message is so important. Thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any last words you want to say before we have to close this? Okay. Well, Parul, thank you. I just want to thank you again so sincerely for 
joining me in this podcast. I know it's going to be a really special episode and I hope a lot of women get this message that we're trying to convey. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for doing this, for everything and for helping me with um, spreading his message. And thank you. Of course, you deserve all the help you can get. This is a big job you've got. All right. Thank you for listening to Love Your Practice with Dr. Laura Mock. I would love to meet you. To join our movement, find the Facebook group called Love Your Practice and request to join. If you can't find it, just send me a message and I'll add you. You'll find me there helping all of my ladies to fall in love with their businesses and have a better life.